0: Can you hear me? Okay. All right. No. Is this on? Okay. All right. So it's always hard to tell up here how loud it is out there. So, and a lot of the churches I go to that to preach don't have a soundboard and all that. You're lucky if you have a lucky if you have a little just a little lapel mic. And uh, I've been to churches that just had a little amp speaker right here. And that was it. Um, So it's kind of neat to have all this technology. Um, So before I get into the scripture real quick, uh, just as a word of introduction, for those who don't know who I am, my name is Nathaniel King. I am now the intern here, and uh, I'm a student at Midwestern, and I've been over there now going into my fourth year. Uh, with my wife and now five children, we moved here with three. Now we have five, uh, and so uh, we our minivan is at capacity. at seat seven, and there is a there is a bottom in every seat. So we are just logistically that's I think five is, kids is about it. Uh, and uh, we have been coming here to Tower View for about for almost exactly two years. Um, and it seems maybe a little bit shorter. I spent uh, a huge portion of my first time here. I came here for like a Sunday or two, and then I was out preaching at other churches for uh, all of last summer, and then came, came back here intermittently in between that. But uh, we've been here for two years. We've been uh, uh, members now for like a month. Um, so uh, it's been great to get to know all people in our Sunday school class, and uh, try to get to know a few of you guys. Um, We keep busy with the kids and with school, so I know I haven't gotten to know as many people as I would like to have, and hopefully we can get to know each other more. Um, But that's enough about me, because y'all didn't come to hear about me. I I know that much. Um, And so as we've been going through this uh, kind of series on the apostles, um, I got Thomas. And so originally I was going to get Nathaniel, And, uh, you know, Darren thought it was a little on the nose. Um, And as to what I like to be called, so on campus, there are other Nathans and Nathaniels and Nates. I'm actually in a class right now where there is literally in the same classroom a Nate, Nathan, and myself, Nathaniel. In the same classroom. So Nathaniel on campus by default. Feel free to call me Nathan. That's what my wife calls me. That's what my parents call me. Nathaniel's fine. Nathan's fine. Whatever you want to call me is fine. Within reason, I should add. Um, you know, blow hard, probably not, you know. Uh, but, um, uh, so enough on that. But as, you know, we're approaching this, um, I'm going to start, you know, Darren's been reading through the same passage in Mark, uh, the listing of the apostles. So we're going to start there. I'm going to hit on a lot more scripture. Um, but let's just start there as kind of the grounding of what we've been doing for this um, this series. And so if you would open up your Bibles to Mark, um, starting in uh, chapter 3, verse 13. And the Pew Bible, that is 838, page 838 on the Pew Bible. And I'm going to be reading from the ESV, which is the same as the Pew Bible. And uh, if you don't mind standing as we read the, the word... Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. That ends the reading of the word of God. Please do you want to take a seat? Or you can stand, we're going to pray. Uh, I think usually we... uh, So if I sound nervous, I am... It's, it's different preaching at your church versus preaching at other churches, because I, I know you guys, and you know me, uh, and then I've got him over there, um, so uh, that's about as funny as I get, too, so um, so uh, let's just bow our heads in prayer. Uh, Lord, um, we pray uh, today that your name would be exalted, that your word would be, would be faithfully preached, Lord. Uh, we pray that our hearts and our minds would be opened to your word. Lord, be with uh, me to give me the words to speak, to speak with um, faithfulness and with clarity. And I'll be with all of us as we listen, Lord. Help us to open our hearts, our minds to receive that. Lord God, I pray that as we hear your word proclaimed that we would be... Uh, renewed and refreshed with your gospel truth uh, through your word, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, you know, like I said, I got Thomas, and so I was going to get Nathaniel, who's this really obscure guy who don't, no one really knows about, but now I've got Thomas, who's like this really famous guy, or infamous, right, who everyone already kind of knows about. Uh, Thomas, you know, Doubting Thomas, right? Everyone knows Doubting Thomas. So don't be a Doubting Thomas. That's the sermon. Good enough. Now, we're going to go a little bit more in depth on that. So uh, I'm not used to preaching at a church that had PowerPoint, so I didn't make one. Um, And so just to give you an idea of where we're going to go, I want to talk about Thomas, who he was, kind of go through kind of the biblical witness and kind of give you a little bit of a character a portrait of who he is, the, the guy, Thomas. And then we're going to take that and, and turn it around to flip side to, towards um, kind of a point of application. And what we're going to focus on is kind of what does faith look like versus doubt? And what does that really look like for us and for Thomas? And so um, just to kind of telegraph where we're going to go. Um, so, like I said, our big picture is going to be kind of what is faith? And, and we have a kind of landing in kind of the big idea. Uh, You know, we have a real faith. It's a concrete faith. It's a a faith based on facts. And it's a real faith, a faith that uh, uh, a real Savior and a real God who really died and really rose from the dead. And that's where we're going to land there. But um, first, we're going to kind of walk through, like I said, Thomas. Um, And so Thomas You know, we we think we know a lot about him because he's doubting Thomas, right? But the Bible really doesn't say a whole lot about who Thomas is, where he comes from, who he is. Um, He shows up in all the lists of the apostles. He shows up after uh, he's he's at the lakeside when Jesus meets... um, with a few of the apostles, only a few of the apostles, I think there's only seven there. Um, At the end of John, when John tells these extra stories about what happened after the resurrection, Thomas is there with Peter and John and a few others fishing. Thomas is among them. And in all the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he is only mentioned in the initial list right here, like in Mark here. He's only listed in the list. He's just one of the 12. Only in John do we get an idea of who he is, and you know, as funny as he doesn't even have a name, because you know Thomas just means it's really really complicated uh, you know Hebrew word it means twin, so and then John John, John elaborates and says Thomas called Didymus, and Didymus is even more is a really really bigger Greek word that just means twin. Um, so he is Thomas, which is Hebrew for twin, and then he's Didymus, which is Greek for twin. whose twin? We have no idea. He is just, hey, that guy is a twin. Um, so apparently this is rare enough in, in Israeli culture uh, at the time to warrant that being what he's just known as. He is the twin, um, you know it's been speculated because he's listed always in the same place he's always listed among right around matthew and james so it's you kind know, of matthew thomas james and so it's it's speculated that maybe one of those he was a twin with maybe it was matthew maybe it was james but you know we don't really know um You know, like I said, only John really gives us this intimate picture because John gives a lot of information that the others don't give. John has a very personal interaction with the the disciples, you know, being one of the only Gospels, like, actually written by an apostle, and he writes after everybody else, so he includes a lot of this personal information. Um, And uh, Thomas shows up three times in John's Gospel. So we have three kind of little places where John... John gives us these little kind of vignettes where Thomas shows up and says something. Um, and I think a lot of us kind of skip over those and don't really think about those because they just kind of pop up. Um, and, you know, like I said, we don't know a whole lot about what Thomas did. A uh, rumor has it, a rumor has it, that uh, after the closing of the period of the Acts, um, he goes to India. And he is martyred. There is a church somewhere In that region, there's some debate over it, but there is a church over there that actually has the tomb of Thomas in it. And there are churches in uh, kind of the uh, western side of the Indian Peninsula. There are churches in that region to this day that use a Middle Eastern language, uh, Syriac, and they claim to be founded by Thomas himself. And they're there to this day in India. And they're Indian you know, I mean, they're they're Hindi by nationality, but they are using um, Syriac, which is a Middle Eastern language, as their liturgical language in the church, and, uh, you know, claim to be founded by Thomas himself. So we don't know exactly what happened, but that's kind of the story of where he ends up. Uh, I know that really doesn't, no one probably cares about that except for me, I'm a history nerd. Uh, I used to love the History Channel when they did history. Uh, now it's... It was aliens. Um, So, my son was getting a kick out of that the other day. Um, He's like, these guys are, what are they talking about? Um, So, to run through kind of Thomas the disciple, Thomas the disciple as he's portrayed in these passages, uh, like I said, Thomas shows up, um, you know, is really well known for this famous interaction at the resurrection where he doubts. but but he had his two previous interactions are, are actually really important, and they set up some really important scenes. so if you if you don't mind turning in your Bibles to John 11, and we're going to start at 11, verse 11, so 11 11 in John and you kind of see Jesus on the road to, to where Lazarus is Jesus this, this is all happening right before. His triumphal entry at the resurrection of Lazarus and as he's about to go to there you know Jesus is telling uh, just immediately prior to verse 11 Jesus tells his disciples that Lazarus is sick and Jesus tells his disciples that you know he should go to him and uh, the disciples say no we don't want to do that you should not go to Judea because the Jews are trying to kill you and Jesus says well um, starting here in verse 11 Jesus uh, says, um, After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. So that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the Twin, said to his fellow disciples, "Let us also go, that we may die with him." And so we see, you know, Thomas shows up, uh, kind of the opposite of what we really think. You know, doubting Thomas, right? Um, You know, we know the story of Lazarus, but I think we a lot of us kind of skip over this. Thomas's statement here, because the, the punchline is Lazarus come forth, right? That's kind of the punchline of the story, and so Thomas just kind of shows up here and says something that it's kind of hard to really get into what exactly he's talking about here. It seems almost like a, a silly thing to say, um, but it definitely doesn't sound like the negative, um, the negative guy. You know, Thomas is this, you know, really dour, down and out guy. You know, I'm doubting Thomas. I don't believe anything. But here we see Thomas who's like, let's go, guys, let's go, die. (laughs) And, you know, Thomas is is a complicated guy, right? I mean, we really see that he's a real person. He's complicated. Uh, You know, as this, this story kind of unfolds here, you know, the disciples are warning Jesus not to go down there because Jesus is going to die you know the, the the Jews have been threatening his life um and then Jesus says Lazarus is dead and even Jesus kind of you know Jesus says very flat you know just imagine very flatly Lazarus has died you got I me mean, I just said I was just trying to tell you guys that nicely uh but Jesus has put it plainly Jesus, he's dead man um uh, and again, Thomas is this, this very uh, enthusiastic. Let's go so that we can die with him. And, you know, people are like, well, the immediate kind of thing is like, oh, is he talking about dying with Lazarus? But, you know, it's funny. It was, I was kind of reading up on this and thinking through this, and and the consensus is because, again, it could be taken both ways. Is he talking about dying with Lazarus? Or we were just talking about Jesus dying, too, and Jesus going down there, and that the fact that if Jesus goes down to where Lazarus is, Jesus is going to die. And so you know Thomas kind of showing this faith of, well, let's go, let's go down, let's follow Jesus to where Lazarus is. Let's follow Jesus to Bethany so that we can die with Jesus. Um, you know this is this is a, almost equivalent to, to Peter's statement, right? Where Peter before Jesus predicts his his um, denial, where Peter says, I will follow you even to death. And Thomas says, the same zeal. Let's go that we can die with him. Let's go, guys. Quit quit all this you know, lollygagging and, and trying to carry on here. Let's go. Jesus says, let's go down there. Let's go with let's go. We'll go die with him. If that's what it is, if that's what this is going to look like, then that's what we're going to do. We're going to go and we're going to die. Let's go, guys. And so we see that you know, he has this real zeal. And again this this contrasts with the common picture is this doubting Thomas is this really like hesitant down sour mood guy kind of the eeyore of the group right you know oh i'm not going to believe and you know he's this really sad guy and you know it's funny he's even reading on this passage some of the opinions of people and you know they say oh you know he's, he's even in saying this he's a really negative guy you know so why does he have to go to this place of talking about dying with Jesus we're not talking about that let's just Jesus didn't bring up anything about dying you guys dying the disciples dying why is thomas going this way he's taking this kind of negatively i don't, I don't think it's really all that negative i think he's just a guy who's passionate just like peter he's like hey let's go let's do this guys if it means dying with Jesus or, or even joining Lazarus in death, let's go. Our Lord has said, let's go. Let's go, guys. This is a man who's ready to die. He's ready to die. And not only is he ready to die, but he's encouraging others to join him. He's saying, all of you, guys, let's go. I'm ready to die for what I believe in. And you all need to, too. Let's go. I said this is not I, I bring all the story up to say that Thomas is not just this doubting guy Thomas is a real person who has this real zeal for Christ It should be commended he's not this man of doubt but he's really he shows himself here at least to be this man of great faith and zeal and trust in Christ and we'll get into how that changes in a minute uh, to move to kind of the, there's a second scene it's a lot shorter, but it's interesting how Thomas brings up you know, one of the, the uh, seminal points of Christian faith. So, to move one or two pages over, John 14, depending upon your Bible, one or two pages, John chapter 14, uh, <coughs> just verses 1 through 6. Jesus is, is now in that last week. He's talking to his disciples. For the last time, this is his last talk to the disciples, and Jesus is saying to you know, telling them, you know, I'm gonna die, guys, and he tells them about all this hardship. In chapter thirteen, he tells them what's coming and what this is gonna mean, and so starting in chapter fourteen, uh, uh, yeah, um, he says to them, "Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me." In your father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I would have told you that I go to prepare I would not have told you that I'd go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, where I am, that where I am you may also you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know the, where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says to him, "I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." And so, you know that that last verse, verse six, there—that's like the, the memory verse, right? Where I, looking out here, I saw a few—I saw a few mouths moving as I read it. Um, You know, this is like the the memory verse, but but Thomas is the one that brings it up. Thomas's question spurs Jesus to really declare uh, this kind of this defining statement of the Christian faith, the thing that defines our faith, especially as Baptists and kind of this evangelical stream of Christianity, that Jesus is the only way, and this is the clearest verse. This is like the verse. When I talk to my my father, who's not a Christian, and he says, "Well, how can you guys say there's only one way?" I can say, "Because Jesus said it." And when I do, when door-to-door evangelists I'm talking to people, and and you know, oh, you guys are always just saying that you're the only way, and you guys are so prideful and arrogant. It's like, well, no, it's actually just because Jesus said it, and Jesus makes it very clear that He's the only way, right? And and this is like, you know, this Doubting Thomas guy. But he's not chided for this question. This is a good question. Unlike, you know, the next verse, Philip is going to ask, right, show me the Father and it should suffice us. And, and he gets chided and says, Philip, you should know better than that question. That's kind of a dumb question. You should know that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Haven't you seen all these things that I've done? <coughs> Philip, you should know better you should know that I've already shown you the Father through me and what I've done. But Thomas's question doesn't get any rebuke. Right? Thomas's question is a, is a real question, because Jesus says, "I'm going I'm to go and you guys, you know the way." Thomas says, "I don't know the way. I don't know the way." Until Jesus said, answers that question is, "Yes, you do know the way, because I am the way." Because Jesus never before this, he, he doesn't elaborate that He's the way. Until Thomas says, we don't actually know the way. And then Jesus answers with that saying, yes, you do, because you know me and I am the way. Oh, okay. And so, you know, this is kind of that, uh, again, not doubting. I mean, he believes Jesus and he asks honest questions. And it's, again, a man who is is zealous and, and seems to really have a real faith he's a real guy and so as we go to kind of the, the third vignette of Thomas is, is the famous one um, so if you want to flip a uh, couple more pages over um, we hit, come to John chapter 20 we're going to start in, on uh, verse 24 and again, this is kind of the last picture we see of Thomas. This is the famous or infamous episode regarding his his doubt. And so we see Thomas here uh, as we tend to think about him. So starting in verse 24, we have uh, now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, again, was not with them when Jesus came. So Jesus had come once before. On the, on the day of the resurrection, had seen all the apostles. Jesus, Thomas was not with them. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Thomas says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him and said, My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. And so I said, this is, this is the, the passage. This is the, the, this is the Thomas passage, right? All right. So the other ones, I just wanted to give you a fuller picture of who this guy was. This is kind of the passage of who Thomas is. This is doubting Thomas. All right. All right. But again, I, th- I think it's more complicated than that because we saw not too long ago a man who was ready to die with his Savior. A man who, who had a great and, and zealous faith, but his, his faith has been shattered. Things didn't go the way that they were supposed to go. Right? Even if he was expecting Jesus to die, no one was expecting him to be flogged and beaten and and harassed and spit upon and and crucified. This this is this is more than what they were. I mean, you know, prophets get stoned, right? They get rock thrown at them until they die, or or you know. Maybe they get uh, wounded with a sword or something. You know, they, there's been a few instances of that in the Old Testament, you know, getting killed with a sword or something. But, but to be, for them to, to kind of go this sideways, like we had this, I, I was ready, Thomas is in this place, where I was ready to die and to follow Jesus to the point of death. And then Thomas, Then things, like I said, kind of go sideways, right? We had this, they had this moment of, of this triumphal entry you know, Jesus chases out the money changers with a whip. And then things go sideways because Jesus is, is arrested. All the other apostles fall away. Peter has denied Christ. Everyone's in chaos. Christ is dead. And we watched him die a brutal, brutal, shameful Shameful death. This is a man whose faith is just shattered. And so he rightly says, well, you guys are talking fairy tales. Jesus raised from the dead. You saw an angel. You saw some angel? Right. You saw an angel. Just like a lot of people do today, right? This is just fairy tales. You guys are grief-stricken. I can't. I can't. And I won't believe it until I see. But it's important to to then look at what Jesus' reaction is. Jesus doesn't rebuke Thomas. There's no rebuke. Jesus doesn't do what we all do, is we kind of look at Thomas and say, shame on you, Thomas. Shame, 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 shame. Shame. You shouldn't doubt. That's just, man, not how it is. Um, Shame, Thomas, shame on you. Tistisk. you should have just believed. You should have taken this leap of faith and you should have just believed what they said. That's what you're supposed to do, just believe it. Just believe what they say. Hey, they said it, just believe it, right? There's a, you know, God said it, That's you know, I believe it, that settles it, whatever the bumper sticker says, you know. Did these guys said it, that's it, that settles it. Shame on you, Thomas. But, but Jesus doesn't take that route. Jesus understands this. This is a normal apprehension, and Jesus doesn't chide him. Jesus says, "Come, touch, look, see. Come and see. Come and touch. Come and feel." And so that's where I want to kind of draw that. We're going to talk about kind of where do we go with that? Where does this story lead us? Talk about like kind of what is faith, and and what we're going to say is that we have a real faith based on a real Savior, a, really, a real Savior who really died and who really rose, a Savior who invites us to come and touch and see, right? This isn't, uh, you know, I was talking to Darren about what I was talking about, we, you know, uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. How many people have seen it? Right? The leap of faith, right? And that's kind of where we, where society are, huh? Last yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, Last Crusade. Sorry, wrong one. <laughs> Last Crusade, the, the, the good one. Um, you know, the, the, this leap of faith, right? And, and it looks like it's just this big chasm. And, you know, oh, well, we're supposed to have faith. Well, what is faith? Oh, we just got to trust in Harrison Ford. I'm not going to fall, so I'm going to hold this. Harrison Ford closes his eyes and steps. Oh, miraculously, there's this magical bridge that's there that's been cleverly hidden to make it so you can't see it. I don't know how that would work when you're doing things thousands of years ago, and I'm sure that there would be quite a bit of dust on that bridge, and you'd probably be able to see it, but it's Hollywood. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, this is kind of where the culture views faith, that faith is this blind leap, right? How many of us are so quick to judge Thomas? Well, you should have just believed Thomas. You should have just believed what they said. And Thomas is this bad guy, doubting Thomas. Are you being a doubting Thomas? Are you being a doubting Thomas? Come on, man. You should just believe. Get over it. You just need to have more faith. Have more faith. Well, but that's not, again, that's not where Jesus goes with it. So we're talking about kind of what is faith. And so, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions about faith, right? Uh, he was uh, Darren was mentioning the Royals. Sorry guys. My t- I'm, I'm from Massachusetts. Don't hold that against me. Okay I had to make sure I preface that when we were in the, uh, living in rural Kentucky and rural Virginia. I'm from Massachusetts, please. don't right uh, But the Royals, you know that's, that's kind of where we uh, think about faith. like I hope I, have, I really hope. The Royals will make it. They won't. But um, <laughs> but my team's doing great. My team's first in the AL East. Boston Red Sox, man. Red Sox are a religion, you know, uh, in Boston. Red Sox nation. And uh, throughout New England, right, uh, Red Sox are, are, are a religion. And, hey, they're first in the AL East right now. So my team might actually do it um, if they don't blow it. Uh, but that's kind of how uh, our, our society looks at faith, is kind of in the same ballpark as, as hoping. Like, I hope my team wins. Or I hope it doesn't rain on Wednesday because we're having a carnival for a while. Or I, I hope uh, the job interview goes well. And, you know, uh, I, faith is kind of this thing where, you know, kind of over here in this corner, there's faith. Kind of over here in this corner is, is reason, right? So over here in this corner is math and science and all the stuff you learn about in school, hopefully history. Um, and so over here is all that stuff. But then over here, way over here is faith. And this is the stuff you're just supposed to just believe it. It doesn't matter about the facts because the facts belong over there. with the reason stuff over here's just the faith you're just supposed to take this on faith guys just believe it and that's what uh, society views it as if you've ever listened to an atheist if you've ever listened to an atheist this is the to use a big word this is the dichotomy right These are, this is the splitting into two separate things that they do this is the way that society views faith is that faith is over there and reason is over there that this is the world of math and science and things that you can see and touch and feel. And this is the land of fairies and hopes and dreams and unicorns and oh all kinds of wonderful things. It's the world of it's the, it's the wonderful world of Disney. Just believe in yourself. <laughs> you know, when you wish upon a star. But that's what this is. And and faith is over here, and this is the stuff you go to college for, this is what those scientists do in labs, wearing lab coats and glasses. and uh, That's what's over there. And so they've, we have almost accepted this. We've almost accepted this in the church culture that this is the world we live in. So we're just supposed to believe what this says. You're supposed to take this on faith. Don't question it. Don't think about it. Because this is in this world over here, the world of faith and more or less make-believe and fairies and unicorns and you know, Disney princesses and the like. But over here is the real world. And we, these two things are separate and must be separate. At least that's the misconception. At least I don't want you to walk away thinking that that's what I'm saying. But this is the the danger, right, in this, this huge separation of the two, which leads to so many atheists today. If you listen to those, I was raised in the church, and I had questions, and I was told to just shut it and believe. And that's the story of so many atheists And so many people have turned their back on Christianity because they are told in the church, they believe, at least, they believe the message of the church, whether or not that is the message of their church or not. I, I know and I hope that that's not the message of our church. I know that's not the case, but they believe, at least, they perceive that the message of the church is just to check your mind at the door and just come in and have a faith experience, right? Just believe Check your brain outside because you're not going to need your brain in here. And so we see, you know, kind of this this idea where faith is this emotional thing. Is you check you can check your brain at the door because this is just about feelings and wishy-squishy, you know, stuff. Like I said, the the thing of the substance of uh, uh, you know about as substantive as the chances of the Royals making it to the series again. Uh, at least this season. At least this season, um, we went. I went with Benjamin to the Royals game as an aside a couple of weeks ago, and we watched them lose fantastically to the. I mean, it was ten to one um, to the Cleveland Indians. So um, it was a good game. It was his first game. He enjoyed it, but uh, he wanted to stick it through to the end. He was enjoying it. And I was like, it's, it, it already has ended. Uh, the seventh inning, we were like, it it has ended, buddy. But you know, this this is that that bo- this, this belief of. Oh, it feels something. And, you know, feelings are good. Don't get, I'm not saying don't feel things, please. That's not what we're saying either. But faith is not an emotion in and of itself. It's not a a matter of simply feelings, only feelings. Like good, bad, or otherwise. It's not just this emotional thing, right? Faith is this, as a matter of fact, right, is a fact-based thing like I said, kind of on our big idea that we have a real faith based on a real Savior who really died, a Savior who really says, come, touch, see, you know? (laughs) And so we have this faith that's really based on fact, real, true facts, and nothing else, right? And there's a danger, too, of kind of making faith itself into an idol, like, you know, we're believing in our believing, like, I have faith, my faith is awesome, Right, so we're kind of having faith in our faith, All right? And that's what matters. How much do you believe, and how much you believe? Like I believe so much, and we're just supposed to kind of muscle through by sheer willpower alone, you know? And and I wouldn't—I'd be doing the seminary a disservice if I didn't quote Spurgeon at least once in a sermon. And in sermon, uh, Spurgeon says that. Um, he says a lot about faith. There's a wonderful book. You can get it for free on Kindle if you have a Kindle or any reading other reading platform. It's called All of Grace. It's a wonderful just kind of walkthrough of what the Christian life is. And uh, Spurgeon says this about faith. He says that faith was knowledge, belief, and trust. Okay, and, and he elaborates on that. That says, faith is not a blind thing, for faith begins with knowledge. Faith is not a speculative thing, for faith believes facts of which it is sure. It is not an unpractical, dreamy thing, for faith trusts and stakes its destiny upon the truth of revelation. Right? So we see again where, where Spurgeon even makes this line that this you know it's not this kind of wishful, hopeful, fluffy stuff over here. It's not the world of Unicorns and make-believe. Faith is a, is a thing that's built upon something. Right? And we're going to get into what the Bible says about that in a second, but it's interesting to see that even in, in the, the old creeds, the Nicene Creed, I don't know if anybody knows the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed, right? I'm going to read just a, a little bit from the Apostles' Creed just on the section of Jesus Christ. And you, you, you've, as soon as I start saying it, you, you've, you've heard it. it. said, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, his, because the previous part is about God the Father, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. And it talks about the resurrection of that. You know, he descended to hell. That's a weird line there. He, the third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. And the Nicene Creed has the same little line there. And these are kind of the the big creeds that kind of formed the early church. Like what do we believe as Christians as the early church was emerging and becoming a force to reckon with in the Roman Empire and as the the Nicene Creed is written after but based upon the, the council there called by the first Christian emperor. Christian emperor. Uh, Constantine, But there's this interesting line. Like, So we're, it's a very concise statement. You know, we believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. We believe in the Holy Spirit. It's very concise, Very trying to say the maximum amount of stuff with the least words as possible. And trust me, people fought over these words, right? L- literally fought, like sometimes with swords and stuff, over these words, over whether or not Jesus was really God or not. Huge fights within the church. That's actually what led to the Council of Nicaea being called because there was huge fights going on. And, and Constantine was afraid that it would split the empire. But it's interesting as, as they're fighting over these words and as they're try- they're choosing all these words super carefully and trying to be as concise as possible, they include this line, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. Well, what are we trying to say by that? I mean, everything else is I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. Why is Pontius Pilate, this kind of two-bit governor from some backwoods place, why is he getting in this? Even in the crucifixion stories, he doesn't get a huge I mean, he gets a few lines, but it's not really about him. Well, because they understood the importance that our faith is again a faith that's founded in reality. That our faith that Pontius Pilate was a real guy. Who there's there's real historical records of this guy. Or you can go to Israel today and the region around it, and you can find I mean I've I've seen pictures of people who've been there and they've taken pictures of you know these kind of paving stones and engraved on the stone is the name of Pilate. Pontius Pilate governor of judea this is a real guy who really lived and you know a long time for a long time people were like oh you can't believe the bible and it's funny is every time they turn a shovel over there there's more and more proof of the scriptures in there and they found this stone people were like pontius pilate probably wasn't even a real guy he's probably just some made-up guy he's the made-up bad guy you know kind of like the the bad queen and on a snow white or whatever She's, she's, she's mild in everything I'm about to say. Um, am I that predictable? That's all right. I love it. Um, yeah. And so, you know, and so Pontius Pilate is kind of this fictitious bad guy. But as funny is then they found this, these stones and stuff that say his name on them. So, I mean, clearly he was real. They found documentation. He's a real guy. And so the, the early church uh, fathers, the people who wrote this, people who got together and fought over what the Christian faith was, understood the importance that we had a faith that's real, and a faith that's built on history, which is why they include this line about Pontius Pilate. And again, this is, again, to contrast that idea of this faith being this ishy squishy thing over here kind of entirely separate from things. You know, remember we have a God who says, come, let us reason together. Uh, and, uh, so to look at what the New Testament says, kind of broad skim over, we're going to do a, I want to go more in depth here, but do the 30,000 foot flyover, right, about what faith is, and again, contrasting faith versus what our modern society has said it is, and so you don't have to turn to this one. This is just a short one, but Jude 3, um, and Jude's only one chapter, so there's no chapter there, um, but Jude 3... It says, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. This is an amazing verse, especially as you go into the ministry and everything, but we have a faith that needs to be contended for, right? That this is a faith that has been once for all delivered to the saints, Right, we have a. This is a, a thing. This is a substantive thing. It's not ushy, squishy stuff over here. It is a substantive issue, right? This is a, a body of facts, a body of information that has been handed down from the apostles to us in the in the Bible. This is the faith. This is the faith. Once for all, delivered to the saints, and it's a faith we should fight for, that we can fight for, that we should contend for. It's a real faith, not just well, you know, I, I feel it, but you know, facts, you know. Um, in the Apostle Paul, you, and you might want to turn there. You don't, you don't have to if you don't want to, because I'm going to read it. But the Apostle Paul in in First Corinthians 15 outlines what this faith is, this the substance of the faith that has been delivered, right? In in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel which I preached to you, which you received, and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And here's it. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, that which I also received. Right? Just like Jude was saying, the faith that's been delivered, Paul received this, and Paul delivered it. Also, the faith, the the that which he re- first importance was I received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive today, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all as to what untimely born he appeared to me. And Paul talks about himself as being the least of the apostles there. But we have this outline of what the substance of the faith is. Paul says, I'm gonna, I delivered to you that which I received, which I heard from Christ, that I heard from the other apostles, that Christ died and was raised from the dead, and this all happened, for, that Christ died for our sins. You know, this, the substance of the gospel, right? And he expresses that in that first, those, those few verses there as we kind of get an outline of what the body of faith is, what this faith that has been once and for all delivered and so, Paul even goes on further at the, towards the end of the chapter, or middle of the chapter, and talks about kind of the importance of the resurrection, which is directly important to what Jesus was doing with Thomas, because Paul set, mentions in, in 1 Corinthians 15, kind of in between 12 and 19, Paul talks about the reality of the resurrection. And Paul says that if Christ has been proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection? Because if there's no resurrection, then even Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is vain. Right? Just forget about it. This is all stupid. Right? If Jesus hasn't died, then forget it. I mean, if Jesus didn't die and raised from the dead, then forget it. And this ties. I mean, Jesus would have known this because Jesus, being God, just as Jesus knows everything that Paul's is going to say too. So Jesus, knowing this, if he doesn't chide Thomas. He says, "Come and see and touch," because he knows that if without a real resurrection, without a real resurrected Savior, it's all useless. It's all vain and empty. That's what vain means. It's empty. It's useless. And Paul even says that if Christ has not been raised, then your faith. Is futile, and you're still in your sins. And then those who have fallen asleep, talking about those who have died before in Christ, they've perished; they're dead. That's it; they're gone. And if, Christ, and if in Christ we have hope only in this life, if this is just some fairy tale, if this just makes you feel better for right now, if this isn't based upon a real, actual event that really, actually happened. And Paul says, we are of all people most to be pitied. We are pitiful. Because without a real resurrection, without a real actual person, a physical body that died on a cross and was put in the grave and that, that got back out of that grave again, without this, it's all nothing. This is the thing on which all of our faith hinges, And so, see, you know, like I said, Thomas and Jesus, they pull that together. When Jesus says, the, Jesus understands the importance of this and says, put your hand in my side. Touch, touch where the nails went through my hand. See, touch, look. And, you know, a lot of us, when we think about faith, automatically we go to, like, you know, Hebrews has that great hall of faith passage. And I'm not going to read the entire chapter for sake of time. Uh, Nelson said I had 90 minutes. You guys are okay with that? Um. <laughs> Anybody who's talked to me knows I can be long-winded, but I, I'm, I'm not trying to be. So, in, you know, Hebrews 11.1 1 gives this, you know, this is kind of that definition of the faith that Hebrews says, is the faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. I saw that too. Uh, at least, It lets me know that at least one person is tracking with me. That I really do appreciate it. I'm not trying to call you out and make it, she's all red in the face now. She's tracking with me at least. Right, so And, and this is kind of where we get this idea where faith and hope, because we confuse this thing, because it says faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And again, we get this idea that hope is this, well, I hope it doesn't rain, or I hope I, you know, I don't know, I hope the tornado doesn't come and smash our house to bits, or I hope that, you know, the royals win, or... Whatever the hope might be. Hope is this she squishy thing. Like I said, it's not a fact-based thing. It's just some emotional feeling thing that you feel something you really want to happen. It's not really a fact thing. And so we have this verse confuses us and kind of muddies that water because it says, oh, faith is, the, is about things hoped for. All right? But then we, when we go past, that's just verse one. And then we read this, this great list of people that Abraham by faith did this, and Moses by faith did this, and all these people by faith, ending with this litany of, of people who were killed and uh, lost everything for their faith. We can see that this is that even this faith that some of things hope for is not kind of this hope in that sense. That this is a real hope. I hope that just like the real faith is something that is based on who God is. And our faith isn't about us. Faith isn't about us and you believing something or how strongly you believe it. It's not the strength of your faith that saves you. It's the power and the reality of the thing that you believe, which is God. It's God that saves us. We're not saved by our own faith in the sense that I have faith, and that's what saves me. No, I'm saved by God in whom I put my trust. I'm not saved by my faith. I'm saved by Jesus in whom I have faith. We're not saved, you know, we're not saved, we're saved by grace through faith. And so grace is this thing that's really about this, you know, the cross, things again that happened in a reality the, that Christ died for our sins and purchased this grace for us and therefore we can have this. And by trusting in that and by believing in that, that's what I'm saved by. I'm not saved by having faith, which is why, you know, Jesus can say things like, if you have faith the side of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. Because it's not about how big your faith is. Or how great your faith is, or I have enough faith to say, let's go die with him. Or, Lord, even if everyone else falls away, I won't. Because we can see how those men failed. Uh, Peter denies. Thomas falls away and has his faith shattered. Right? So you can see, you know, because all you need is a faith the size of a mustard seed. Jesus says, You can move a mountain. Not because Faith is this powerful thing. It's not like faith is the force and we're Jedi is learning how to wield the force. Right, I got my son's attention. Um, <laughs> right? Uh, faith isn't like that. Right? Our, a faith the side of a mustard seed can move a mountain because we have a God who made the mountain. Right? And so... You know, to bring this back to what Thomas did and to bring this back to home, we can see that Jesus understands this. God doesn't ask you to have a blind faith. Jesus doesn't rebuke Thomas, saying, Thomas, you should have believed. You should just trust. Just trust. Don't worry about the facts. Just believe. Right? But we have a real faith and a real Savior, a Savior who bids us come and touch. All right? And now, we, being separated by two thousand years, can't physically come and touch. But and Jesus even covers that. Jesus says to Thomas, "You believe because you've seen. But blessed are those who believed and have not seen." Not because, oh, we're just, oh, well, we can't touch. So that again puts us in this park over here of just kind of believing in, in whatever, separating from facts. No, because Jesus knows we have a sure word. Something that Paul, Peter calls a more sure thing. Peter saw Christ in the flesh, saw Jesus transfigured on the mountain and says, listen, we have a more sure thing even than my personal experiences with God. And that's right here. All right, or in an app on your phone. All right. And so Jesus says, even if you can't see, because you're separated by 2,000 years, you have the facts right here. And listen, then there's extra biblical information that supports the resurrection. So you can go look at that stuff. That's all, that's great. But this is the foundation. And this is a book that, while well, it doesn't speak to everything, it is true. And everything that it does say, it is an amazing historical record that's reliable. We got you know thousands and thousands of manuscripts, right? No other historical document is attested to as this. Right? They just even on un- all this big news, they they using this X-ray technology scanned some old scroll that was kind of burnt half burnt and stuff and was found and you know using this advanced x-ray technology we were able to digitally construct what the text was because the the ink would have been different than the paper anyways they found they found they found that the the scroll was of Leviticus and that the version of Leviticus from that scroll matched what we have today and this was was, as of right now this is the oldest scroll of Leviticus that we have and it matches what we have here and even all the manuscripts you have oh all these differences and stuff none of it amounts to anything this is a faithful and trustworthy book it tells us the truth it has the truth that our faith can be based off of and we can even see that again because we know that like I said under every shovel that they've turned over in Jerusalem and in Israel they find more and more backing of this also say we, we have a real faith And so we can rest in the knowledge that our Savior really walked the earth, that he was really crucified. He was a real person who sweat real sweat and bled, bled real blood and felt real pain. And that this real man really rose from the dead. And that he bids us to come and check it out. And so to anybody out there who's thinking that, you know, faith is just supposed to be, you know, something you take and not based upon facts, that you're not supposed to ask questions, let me just say, let me just, I want you to leave it this, that Jesus, God in the flesh, born of a virgin, crucified, raised from the dead, and we have a record of that. And our God is not a God who expects us to take a leap, a blind leap. Faith isn't a blind leap. It's an informed choice and informed trust. And he expects us to reason and to think this through. He expects us to, and asks us to know him, to trust in him, to come and see, to learn and read. That this is what the Christian faith is all about. And our faith isn't built on our trust or our feelings or anything like that but our faith is built on the solid rock that is our God. That's what this is. That's where Thomas brings us. Thomas shows us that we have a real faith and a real God. And so let's close in prayer. Lord, I hope and I pray that Your word has been preached faithfully and that it has been received as such, Lord. I hope and I pray, Lord God, that we can be assured of you and what you've done for us, that we can rest in the knowledge that you are a real God who has done real things for us, Lord God.